This is Silvano. And this is Lorenzo from Uncle Bard and the Dirty Bastards. And may you listen to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Derek Day from Classless Act, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Eric Johnson, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. episode 487 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. We are pleased in this episode to be joined once again by Mr. Eric Johnson. Eric, an amazing force on guitar and, and rock music in general. He is going to be releasing not one, not two, but actually three albums coming up. Two of them are coming out simultaneously on the same day, July 29, The Book of Making, and Yesterday Meets Today. You can get those uh, on physical, and then he'll be releasing a uh, another album called Takeouts for those who pre-order the album, which is a five-song unreleased with uh, some alternative versions of songs, etc. So... A massive amount of Eric Johnson coming down the pike later on this month. So we want to get you ready for that in just a few moments. Also, we'll be joined by Derek of the band The Classless Act, who are the band charged with the task of opening the show, or the stadium show, to be coming to uh, PNC Park on August 12th. They've been opening the entire tour. Their debut album is available now, so we're going to talk to Derek all about that uh, unbelievable opportunity for a band and then we're going to introduce you to a celtic rock band from italy called uncle bard and the dirty bastards we'll get to those guys in just a little bit so without further ado we're going to play you some brand new eric johnson this song's called move on over it's from uh, the two new albums that'll be coming out so we want to give you a chance to check that out you know, idea what you're looking in, uh, for and then we're going to talk to eric all about it. Let's go. 
gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome back to Iron City Rocks from Austin, Texas. We have Mr. Eric Johnson on the line. How are you doing, Eric? I'm good, John. How are you, man? Fantastic. It is wonderful to have an opportunity to speak with you. You've got not one, but two albums coming out of uh, the Book of Making and Yesterday Meets Today. You've got a new single. Uh, you've got a, a healthy dose of tour dates for 2023 lined up. So it's great to have all things back is as close to normal as I guess we get um, the, the albums themselves. Can you talk a little bit about, I mean, obviously you were in quarantine, you had time on your hands of uh, abundance, but um, why two albums as opposed to a double album and kind of how you put these two collections together? Well, you know, it, uh, it ended up, John, being 25 songs, and I did a double album of 18 songs, and then I decided to put it out through Blue Elan Records, mm-hmm. and they said, well, why don't we do something like um, two singles records released the same day rather than a double album? Um, and I think their thought was just kind of to make it just a little bit of a, like, a different thing to sure. do. And also... Um, as people maybe heard snippets on the uh, over the internet, they could go, well, I like this record better. I like this one better. They have a choice or they also could get both of them. And I have a third record that completes the 25 songs. There's this seven, seven song record that's outtakes. And so their, their thinking was, well, this way they can buy one or both. And if they do buy both, we're going to throw in this third record, which is outtakes. No, I have to ask, do you, do you have a preference on which album? You mentioned, you know, people might like one or the other. Is there one that, or does it kind of change, you know, like what your favorite guitar is, you know, is there one you gravitate towards? Um, not really. I mean, I, I started off with 28 songs and I quickly saw three of them were not worth doing anything with. And then, and then it was pretty apparent that another seven were kind of, pretty good but kind of outtakes so that left me with 18 songs once i had 18 songs i just tried to i just tried to position them in a way that seemed to flow well and um, that's how it ended up when you have a song like that you said that wasn't worth pursuing i mean i I have to think that the level of song you might feel is not worth pursuing is not it may be well beyond something that, you know, I, as a musician might write or something. Is that something you solicit other people's opinion, you know, like bounce it off of a trusted friend or something to say, yeah, maybe this one isn't going where I want, or is it all you when it comes to that? No, no, I like to bounce it off of people. And that's a good point because sometimes there's some stuff on this new record that actually I didn't years ago, didn't want to release. And I listen to it now and go, well, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I actually Mm -hmm. like it better than some of the stuff I release. So a lot of times it's just going through the filters of what you think and it can be real subjective. And yeah, to that same point, I think, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's so subjective, you know, you don't know Mm -hmm. if something's really good or not. I mean, to me, the real, the real litmus test, I think, is just whether it has an emotional quality to it and it, and it does something for the listener. Because, right. you know, you always can get a better recording or a better performance or whatever. But if it's got a vibe that, that's connective, you know. Sure. And, uh, that, that was the criteria I tried to use to decide uh, to make some of the stuff outtake or but i thought the outtake stuff, the record's called takeouts. I just flipped mm. the word around. Yeah. But um, 
I thought it was, you know, and it, I kind of left it up to listeners to see what they think about it. They might hear and go, well, I like that better than the actual record. It's hard to say, but um, it's a little looser and a little, like there's a version of, I had a song on Bloom called Good To Me that the uh, mixer kind of cut all up and made real electronica at the time, which was kind of very different for me. But there's actually an original version of the song Good To Me that's just more rocked out, just guitars. And I thought, well, you know, people, they might like that better than what, what it was done on the original one but uh and uh uh so i i got the basic track and then i just overdubbed to that uh in the present day but um and then there's an alternate version of sitting on top of the world that i i didn't like it quite as much as the one that i put on the double record but or the two single records but uh, i thought it was worth people hearing when you approach a song like sitting on top of the world you know with with such a history and kind of an iconic song really i mean how do how do you approach it as far as putting your own spin on it? Is it you know is a you know you listen to it and, and I I wouldn't say you know this is you trying to mimic the original verbatim obviously is that something you kind of play around with for a while until you get a feel for how you're going to approach it? Yeah, you know you kind of can re-voice the chords the way you want and then just kind of play your own style in it. I don't. I don't think anybody needs to hear me try to cop note for note, you know, uh, uh, Helen Wolf or, or, or the, the Mississippi guys that uh, the, uh, originally did the 30s version or, or, or anybody else. I mean, there's plenty of great versions of that song. So I just wanted to kind of, I love the song and I used to listen to it a lot and, and I just wanted to kind of put my own thing on it. Um, and, and you run the risk of that sometimes to not being as true and respectful to the idiom to some people, but I don't, um, there's, there's so many people that are, that are great at, at, um, at, at uh, interpreting, you know, to the T, mm. the blues or the jazz or the rock or whatever. And I, I think there's room for people that want to, you know, kind of put a different spin on things. Yeah. Now you mentioned, um, you know, some of these songs have, had a long history to them. I mean, was this something that you kind of went back through notebooks or the old, you know, Tascam cassettes to find yeah. ideas? Or... Yeah, Tascam cassettes. And I would, they'd be basic tracks and just really kind of not very great recordings. Obviously, it'd be in a practice room with a couple of Sure 57s mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd transfer it to a digital medium and then just overdub to it. Did... And, yeah. Are you a person that could go back and just remember the riff or is it some of that stuff? Did you have to kind of study and, and kind of play around with to remember how you approach some of that stuff? Yeah, definitely. No, some of it I totally remember. I just started digging stuff out of the closet and there's actually more stuff there. I think every time I ever made a record, I made it. it that's kind of why I've, always, I've kind of been slow making records because every time I make a record, I make two records and then I throw something back in the closet, which for better or worse, you know, and I think some of that stems from trying to be too much of a perfectionist, which is a, a real issue that I'm trying to look at now. I, I don't believe in that uh, philosophy or, or process or, or mind uh, set as, as much as I used to. Um, and so I'm kind of, I'm trying to shed that. And uh, so when I started pulling stuff out, I just looked for stuff that, that kind of made me feel good when I heard it and, mm-hmm. and see if it inspired me to come up with some stuff to overdub on and finish out. And I didn't try, I didn't, I didn't go well this sound. I mean, the, some of the stuff on there, the recording is not very good. You know what I mean? But sometimes when you take a really funky recording and you juxtapose a high end overdub 
mm-hmm. production with it, you get this, uh, it's almost like a camera that gets a depth of field. Yeah. You, know? you have low, low tech meets high tech. And if you place it just right, it actually, um, in a way it can kind of work to your favor. You know, it's like a painter that does some funky brushstrokes behind some real meticulous brushstrokes. So <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think you can excuse stuff if just because it's not recorded well, if it, if it has a vibe, you know, and that's something I probably would have never endorsed or accepted years ago, you know, but sure. Yeah. Does, does technology, I mean, I, I think back to, you know, the days of, you know, when you did a VM music common and stuff, you know, recording was cost a fortune, um, you know, and you would go in debt to the record company for this kind of stuff. And now you've got probably more recording power on the computer that's sitting in front of you. Um, does it make it more difficult for you to say, this is good enough? You know, uh, this is representative of what I want. It has the emotion and the passion. I want it, but it may not be, you know, note perfect in your ears or, or do you always feel like you could do a little better? Is that a hard thing for Uh, you to let go of? Yeah, I think so in a way, but I mean, really, it really, if you just rehearse your stuff and you, and you, you come to the table prepared to do your uh, part, you know, that's the way they used to do the, 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 that's the way they used to record, you know, people mm-hmm. showed up and they had their thing together. Um, so in the digital world, you can just kind of sort of be together and then you can kind of just, you know, get yourself together as you move along. But um, I don't think that's necessarily better. And it's, it's a, 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 it's a very, uh, you know, uh, tempting, uh, seductive process to, to sure. follow you know, and, and a lot of us fall into that. And I don't think it, I don't think personally, I think the verve and the um, spirit of music has not been the better for it. Per yeah. se. You know, technically it's been amazing. I mean, and there's, you know, you can't say, I mean, there's a lot of new modern music you listen, you can listen to. And I mean, like sometimes I'll listen to like top 40 music uh, just not, I don't do it very often, but I'll listen to these hit songs that are all mm-hmm. like samples and all this stuff. And my personal opinion, this is just me, mm-hmm. but some of it is amazing if they get rid of the drum machine. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, it's got, they're like using these really cool voices doing this cool stuff. And it's like, it's very musical, but then you got this don't, 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 don't. And I just think, God, it just remedializes it if there's such a word, you know what I mean? Yeah. But my, I guess my point is, is there, there's a place for it is there's an idiom for it, but you're not going to get that. You're not going to get that kind of blues session, you know, from Miles Davis or, or, uh, you know, the already experienced. I mean, when Christ Mary was done in 20 minutes, you know? Yeah. I just think as I get older, it, it, it's a tough pill for me to swallow, to realize that I've been, I, and I take responsibility for it, but I've been, uh, a lot of my career seduced by this long-term process of recording and just let's do it over and over mm-hmm. and over and over. And, you know, there's, there's, there's other avenues and other boulevards. And quite honestly, I think there, a lot of them are, are more um, just, uh, they have a lot more spirit to them. If, if you're a performance musician, it, if, sure. it, it, it depends on the, you know, I mean, just depends on what the end game is, I guess, you know? 
Yeah, on on this album, you collaborated with another Austin musician, Ariel, uh, on on a what I think is a really interesting, you know, very piano heavy piece um, for two guitarists to get together. Could you talk a little bit about how you know you collaborated with her? Uh, well, she wrote the lyrics to that song. We, I, I had that. I've had that song for years, and that's actually a pretty recent recording. I think we recorded it right before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, yeah, I just had this song, and um, Ariel wrote the lyrics for it, and and we went in the studio and we cut the piano and voice live, and that's what that's it right there. That was just a live take, and then uh, Tom Breckline and Roscoe Beck put upright bass and, and brush drums over it. And then I went back and put, I just kind of ghosted some guitars in it. Mm-hmm. I did, I did, I wanted to leave it more of a piano trio thing, but just with a little bit of kind of guitar orchestration in the background. Yeah. And it came out so beautiful. I think it was a, a real standout. And also you were, you, you covered a song with Christopher Cross. I mean, was that uh, somebody you've known for a long time, obviously a very not, regarded. Musician. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I met Chris, he's from San Antonio, but I met him when I was 15. I was, I was opening and this is a true story. I was opening for, I was in a group called Mariani, mm-hmm. Vince Mariani, uh, um, who played drums. We had a band together and we were opening for deep purple and Richie Blackmore was in the hospital with food poisoning. And Chris, uh, Christopher Cross was hired by the promoter because he was a rocker guitarist in San Antonio sure. and he knew every single deep purple song. So they said, Chris, can you know all the songs? Can you sit in for Richie Blackmore this night? We've got a gig at the Jam Factory in San. So he sat in. He played guitar for deep, with Deep Purple for their set, and I met him. He wanted he wanted to borrow my amplifier, so I met him there. And I've known him all those years. But we were that's one of the few songs we've ever written together, and that was one of the few songs on this record that I didn't do anything to except remix. Yeah, and it's it's kind of a cute song. I mean, it's a little bit safe and cute. I think maybe. But I mean, I listen to it now and I say, well, even though it's really pop, I mean, it, it's a nice song. I'm not sure what my issue was it was with it years ago. I mean, and to that point, I mean, I think sometimes I'll release stuff. No, this is better. But then in retrospect, you go, well, actually, this other yeah. thing, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. who knows? Yeah. And I think it's, it's probably like that even for listeners. I think sometimes, you know, you go back and you listen to an album like I, I, I listened to, to the um of the music home album not that long ago because i was somewhere and i picked it up on a cassette and just for the novelty that i bought it you know because i already had the cd and I, I listened to it again and like you know i look back and i'm like well that desert rose song was just amazing and i didn't really appreciate it in its time but you know you're listening to it with a different perspective you know your life changes your your taste changed to a degree and, and sometimes you know just the fresh set of ears you know, something you haven't heard in a while yeah um, so it's a is is there when when you approach a song, like how far into the process do you make the instrumental versus vocal distinction? Is it is that something really cognitive, or is it just kind of come out of not even thinking about it to know whether you want to put vocals on a song? It usually becomes apparent fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had situations. I had had songs to where. I never could get the vocal to work in the song, so I'd turn it into an instrumental. But as a general rule, it's, it kind of indicates what it wants to do early. Is one of them easier for you? I mean, is it, is it harder to do a vocal melody, you know, while still considering the guitar playing, just because of the, you know, the kind of two different melodies going on maybe at one time, or, or is it yeah, really so- kind of second nature? 
No, I think sometimes it's a challenge to figure out a way to, to get the vocal to, to be interesting enough, and, but still something I can sing. A lot of times I'll come up with vocal parts that are, that are really better than <laughs> what I end up with, but um, I can't sing them. So I have to kind of uh, simplify them so that I can sing because I'm just not that adept singer. I mean, in that kind of in, in one way of looking at it, it, it would have been, you know, it's, it would probably be cool if I worked with a really great singer, you know, so I could push some of the music I'd like to do that really requires a little more of a demanding vocal. Yeah, I mean, that that's always kind of an interesting thing when you listen to your records, because you, every song you're kind of like, okay, which way is this going to go? And then I hear your voice, okay, he went this way, or, you know, he, you, take, you go into, you know, like a, a kind of a lead melody and, and you know, kind of a, a neat direction. So it's always fun as a listener to go back and do that. Um, I had a question, a gear question, if, if you don't mind, that a listener submitted that that we were kind of curious about. You're known for playing the Stratocaster, obviously, with a single coil. Is there a trick you have when touring that you don't have to worry about noise coming through with a single coil pickup? Oh, is there, know. Yeah. No, is there a, a, you know, kind of, and I know you're kind of a gear uh, aficionado. Is there something that you have like a magic uh, in no, your no, chest? It's really, it's pretty funky sometimes. I mean, sometimes if you have the the middle pickup of the guitar reverse wrap, then when you put it in that middle position, it'll cancel the hum. But if you're going for a full out lead tone straight on the bridge pickup, mm -hmm. the, the hum can be really a problem. And I try to just stand in a position to where it's not as bad because you can kind of proximity around to get it better. And then a lot of times I have to go back and erase right before the guitar when it's not playing, you know, because mm -hmm. it's sitting there humming in the track, you know. So Is there... Is there a key when you're, especially like you're traveling on tour, is that, do you have to kind of work, like kind of move around during your sound check to get a feel for where you might run into problems on stage? Usually most, most of the time it's not that bad and it's not that noticeable in the grand scheme, but I have, I've, I've played, um, I've played venues where the hum was so bad. I literally had to use a, a humbucking guitar all night long and not okay. even use the strat. I mean, that's very rare, but it happens to where you'll be right next to a radio station or there'll be a yeah. AC lines running the stage and, and the hum is louder than the note. It's just terrible. Yeah. It's probably one of those things that I think as guitarists, people maybe hear it. It's you know, kind of like a dog whistle. Once you hear it, you can't not hear it, even though, you know, yeah. your audience may not. Mm -hmm. um, one, one final thing I noticed, uh, obviously you're on the cover of Guitar Player with, with Steve and, and Joe, and you've done, I know, an event with Sirius XM, uh, kind of getting back to those guys. And it, it's kind of neat to see the three of you, you know, in one calendar year, kind of all have new product you know, right, new yeah. material coming out. Um, was it kind of neat to catch up with those guys and kind of reminisce yeah, about, you know, a yeah. tour that really changed, you know, a lot for guitar in that era? Yeah, yeah, it was. And I, and I got to listen to a few of their tracks, which sounded great. And those guys are just going strong. So it was nice. Yeah. When, when you were first approached about the G3, did you, I mean, you know, the other two guys obviously came from a, a maybe a slightly harder rock, you know, dare I say shred, not that Cliss of Dover isn't full of chops that all of us can't do, but was there some hesitation just stylistically on your part to the tour or was it something you were kind of all in from the moment you heard about it? 
there was a little hesitation because I, I think those guys are just such great technicians. And, and I think that their audience is real mesmerized and amazed by just the sheer virtuosity. Um, and I, I have glimpses of that. I guess I, I veer off course from that angle somewhat because I, I like to. Yeah, and, and those guys, I mean, they like other types of music, too. Sure. I, I'm not insinuating anything. I'm just I guess I sometimes I'm happy just to do like a, you know, like a, a write a song kind of that just doesn't have hardly any mm-hmm. guitar in it or has very are, are the guitars just kind of in the background or whatever, which um, I like that. And I think maybe some of my audience might see that as a disservice because my forte has kind of been solidified as a guitar player. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the irony is, and, and is that since I was a kid, I, I used to listen to music that didn't, didn't even have guitar in it or, or just had guitar sure. for the sake of the song. That's always been probably as big, if not bigger part of me than the, the Cliffs of Dover thing. It's just, that's the one, that's the thing that people liked most about me. And that's, that's cool. I mean, there's so many great songwriters. I mean, mm-hmm. to, for me to stammer and go, wow, well, I got to be accepted as a, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're opening, up yourself up to a sea of just of, of uh, masterful songwriters so i don't know you know maybe uh, it's just i just enjoy songs too you know yeah. or acoustic guitar or piano and just playing a piano song so i don't but i don't know if that's hurt my career maybe by not being more uh focused and single-minded about what people perceive me as doing as my strong point i don't know yeah i mean i i think it's certainly, you know, something to consider, but I think sometimes if you, if you had tried to say, okay, I, I, you know, obviously Cliffs of Dover was a, was a usually successful single. Had you tried to just say, okay, that's what people like. I'm going to make seven more albums of that. Uh-huh. You know, if it's not sincere, I think people would feel that, you know, well, I, yeah. think, I, I think that might've in the long run, you know, maybe you might've popped some higher record sales, at the time, but may have hurt you in the long run, you know? So it's, it's certainly a balancing act. Well, Eric, I want to thank you so much. You're going to be hitting the road pretty heavily in in 2023. I know you've had to kind of move the tour, obviously as as many, many musicians have. Um, And these albums, what is the street date for the the two new records? uh, July, I think July 29th. Okay, so we'll be able to get those both on the same day. You're kind of doing the use your illusion sort of double drop on the same day. So that's yeah, the book right. of making yeah. and yesterday meets today. And then w- how far beyond that will be the, the takeout album? Uh, I'm not sure. They have that now. So uh, they're getting ready to figure out when they're going to release that uh, probably pretty quickly after it. And that the takeout record will probably be uh, download only. It'll be something you if you you can you can download if you want yeah awesome well hopefully we get a healthy dose of these these two new albums and then the forthcoming material on the tour along with some of the eric johnson classics and eric i want to thank you so much for your time oh sure john you're welcome man thanks for doing this all right again a giant thank you to mr eric johnson the two albums will be released the book of making yesterday meets today both come on physical product july 29th uh, and then you can get uh, the takeouts, I guess you call it an EP, um, will be available for those who pre-order. So you want to get that if you're a Eric Johnson aficionado. This is just choice stuff from Eric, so definitely want to check that out. I'm going to introduce you now to a band who I think 
probably not long from now will need no introduction. The band is Classless Act. They are the opening band on the stadium tour, the stadium tour being the Def Leppard, Motley Crue, Poison, Joan Jett, and the Blackhearts stadium tour that is going across the United States now, playing to, to packed stadiums. We'll be heading into Pittsburgh here on August 12th. Very much looking forward to checking out that show. So you think to yourself, how does a band become the opening act for such a bill? You know, why didn't they go out and get XYZ, whatever, not literally XYZ, the band, but, you know, a band that, you know, you maybe you've heard of or, you know, might fit in with the genre. These guys check all the boxes. Uh, We're going to be joined by Derek Day of Classless Act. Um, The band has been around for a few years. Uh, They work with Bob Rock. They've recorded... Uh, in the homes of members of Motley Crue. They've got Motley Crue members on the album. So I think there's a lot of tie-in uh, with the with the bands. So I think you're going to really enjoy it. So we're going to play you a little bit of their debut album. Debut album is available now. At the time we recorded this, the album actually wasn't out yet. So it was a really an interesting thing to think, oh, you're going to be going and doing this stadium tour without your video, without you know people knowing the songs or anything like that. But Welcome to the Show is available now. You want to check that out before you come out to the show. We wanted to give you guys a chance to hear about the Classless Act. So uh, you make sure you get your rear ends into the stadium and check this out. You do not want to miss these guys. So without further ado, Derek Day, Classless Act.
ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome the Iron City Rocks from the Class of Sax. We have Derek Day on the line. How you doing, Derek? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right today. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Um, you guys are, are days away from from embarking on what has to be, the, you know, the kind of the opening slot of a lifetime with the stadium tour. You're a little over a week away from your debut record coming out. Um, I can't imagine sleep is easy to get at this point, but... Um, can you kind of give you know fill people in on how, how you guys got to this point? Because I'm sure you know you, it almost looks like you know overnight sensation, but I'm sure there's no way in the world this just happened by accident. So can we talk a little bit about how the band kind of came together? Because you guys have sort of a unique story there. We we came together through uh, social media and um, like all all sorts of different uh, platforms. Like they found me, like the a guitarist and drummer found me through. Um, uh, Facebook, and then, you know, the bass player was through Instagram. We found Griffin, the lead guitarist, through TikTok, and it was just like this weird conglomerate of internet. <laughs> and um, But it was all, we were all fans of each other. Like, some of us followed each other before we mm-hmm. ever met each other, and we just, like, liked what we were doing. So we wanted to form this band and try to make this cool rock and roll vibe. So it all started like that, like, maybe three or four years ago, even. And, um, you know, the band went through a bunch of different, like, uh, stages and right. lots of styles of music before it became what it is now. And we recorded the whole album, and we had it for a, a little over a year, I think. So we've just been, like, really, we've been pitching it to different labels. We've been pitching it be- uh, before we signed on to Better Noise. We've been pitching it to different uh, touring acts and trying to uh, try to jump on a tour. And, yeah, we got this. Like like you said, it, it seems overnight, but it was a lot of yeah work <laughs> yeah nothing nothing's overnight in the music business it's just the fact that the world's waking up to what you guys have been doing forming the, the doing the band online it's kind of interesting because we see we've seen a lot over the last decade or so as the internet um has, has afforded people the ability to collaborate you know you have especially it seems with a lot of like the the 80s sort of you know call it hair band where you know singer from one band will get together with a guitarist from another band they may never actually meet in person They'll kick out an album with these sort of supergroups, but you guys, you know, a little bit more organic in that you're all, you know, relatively unknown at the, this point, you know. But like you said, you were fans of each other. Did you guys sort of talk about, you know, we need to co-locate to do this, or how did you guys kind of get past the introductions of, of social media into let's make a real band out of this? We, that's a great question. We actually like, like we became, weirdly enough, we we became friends really fast. We come from different backgrounds and a lot of us, three of us are from California and one of us is from Argentina and the other one's from Dallas. But like something about it, like we just all have this, like, we look at each other like we're different versions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we have very similar music tastes and very similar, um, uh, what do you like humor? And I think humor is like the base of it all, yeah. really. If you can laugh at the joke, so, so I don't know. Something about it just clicked, and we, um, I don't know, like, uh, what, and once we realized we have the same vision, like we want to make yeah. this awesome band and we want to tour the world, like it really, you know, a, a lot of differences come up, but they get squashed pretty easy, and and things come naturally. We write naturally, and we just laugh naturally. I don't know, just sort of just kind of. It um, unexplainable connection. <laughs> Were you guys stylistically 
playing similar. I mean, because there, you know, you sometimes you could spot a musician and he might be doing, you know, let's say a, you know more of a '90s grunge thing, but you can see something in a musician's playing that says, you know, this guy might have the spark we want for the style of music we have in mind, or we want to kind of dream up our own sound. Was everybody kind of in the same genre when you saw them initially, or did you kind of, you know, maybe take a chance on somebody? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think we were all pretty much in the same genre. We we all loved rock and roll, mm-hmm. and maybe in different eras. Like one of us loved it more in the '60s, one of us yeah. loved it more in the '70s, '80s, another. So, like, if anything, it it fed. So we were a little different. It just it was all rock and roll based. It was all guitar based. Sure. Um, but it was cool. It's it's actually kind of inspiring. Like you know, it's like oh well, this guy knows a little bit more about that era. So yeah. it's cool to have him in here and get his input. So if anything, it just inspires more creativity. Yeah, it is. It's you always think of uh, you know Peter Chris with kind of his jazz influence with Kiss. You know, and it made such a difference to the sound of the band. Um, as you yeah. wrote the songs, you guys, you you did the album independently and then chopped it. With, did I understand that correctly? Um, kind of, pretty much. I mean, we wrote songs. Uh, we had a whole style. Uh, it was a, it was very like um, old school rock and roll. Um, and um, but then the pandemic hit, and then we started writing different stuff. We we invited mm-hmm. writers into our band. We're like, let's write this sort of thing with people from like Buck Cherry or like yeah. The Darkness and stuff like that. We wanted to, or songwriters from Nashville. We just, we wanted to expand. We're like, we want to try to see if we can grow and learn. And and then that way we started writing a little more, uh, we allowed ourselves to open up more in our music mm-hmm. and um, uh, with that guidance. So once that happened, we just made a bunch of demos and uh, we we did have, we did record like a 12 song EP actually, I remember um uh and like it's not, i guess it's not an ep it's an lp <laughs> sure. but like we, we recorded this whole big super demo and that's what we used to shop to different labels before we better noise um we just like totally used that and and it worked and even though it wasn't our best work it was i guess the vibe was there the energy was there and um and yeah and then after that we started rewriting some of that stuff rewriting some brand new things and it just like it turned into what exactly what we wanted to be. Sure. When you were looking at labels, you know, a lot of bands have really for, forgo the the classic, you know, make a you know a demo, shop at the labels, you know, get a advance, make a record, get on a tour. That that model has certainly shifted over the last twenty years or so. Was was there consideration at any point of just trying to be completely independent, or was that I mean, obviously, what you guys have accomplished, and, and you know, the the fact we're talking about doing a stadium tour probably has a lot to do with the fact you've got a record label behind you. But was was there debate over that aspect? Not really. You know, I think we all came from different bands, and we all had something going on. And mm-hmm. I was like on tour when I like was when they reached when like some of the members reached out to me, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, interesting, and like. It, it works for sure. It works for some people, but I think we need for something as big as what we want to be. And, uh, like we, I think we need that team. We need mm-hmm. that family and we look at it as a family. So like, um, trust me, we, I think uh, individually we all considered going independent sure. before we met. We're like, we got to do this. It just didn't really happen. It didn't really spark. Sure. Was, 
Yeah. When you were doing the album, was it a producer? I know you know you obviously worked with with a producer who's got quite a resume. Was that how you made the introductions to Vince and Justin to get them involved, or, or was this? Um, did you work with like a publishing company to you know to kind of make those connections? I'm assuming you didn't just call Vince Neil directly, you know, and say, "Hey, come sing on our album." Right. No, you're totally right. Actually, once we got signed and once we got like a really kick-ass producer involved, mm-hmm. um, Bob Rock, he, Bob, like, you know, he worked with yeah. Motley Crue and like, so like mm-hmm. he, he, in, you know, he threw out the suggestion, hey, let's record this record at Tommy's place. So he went to Tommy Lee's place. He has a studio and like, you know, Tommy would come down the stairs every now and then, like, you know, peek over, maybe air drum a little. And, mm-hmm. and it, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't so much, he wasn't involved or anything, but he just, he got a, a, a first glance at this new thing. And he did, of course, we still needed work, but he, I think he didn't mind us. So sure. maybe that sort of seed was planted in some form or the other. Sure. And then over time, eventually we got on the tour through that sort of connection. We're just like, you know, after we pitched it to them and our management pitched it to their management and they were like, yeah, come on, you know, after a while. And, um, and then of course, like Vince was, uh, you know, he was, we were made known to him. So we wrote, we had this song already written. It was like one of our first songs ever mm-hmm. written, which is our theme song, Class sure. of Act. And we thought like, this actually feels like Vince Neil. It feels like him. Like, let's just send it to him on a whim. I mean, he might say no, but maybe you'll say, yeah, like, hey, can you sing a verse on this? It'll help us, but also you'll you'll make it better. And he was yeah. just like, yeah, heck yeah. So he just did it. And, and our management is so good. Um, they're just great people and they have great ideas. They're really creative. And they they uh, reached out to Justin. They worked with Justin in the past from The sure. Darkness. And um, so, like, they just had that connection, luckily. And, of course, Justin, you know, he's busy and he's in Switzerland and he's like, there's a lot going on, but we sent him some demos like, hey, we need to write some songs. We need to finish these songs. And Justin was like, yeah, sure, why not? You know, he was just, you know, ask and ye shall receive, I suppose. Yeah, and I have to say, I mean, this says a lot about you, I think. Um, you know, when you think of, of, of a vocalist, you know, sometimes there's a bit of a, a fragile ego, if not a giant ego in a singer, to, to you know, hmm. reach out to two, you know, very dynamic very recognizable voices and say, you know, you mentioned, you know, the, the, the title track, you know, or I should say your, your name, namesake song to have him come and sing on that. A lot of singers might be a little, you know, put off by the idea of having somebody else sing on their song. Um, so I think it shows, you know, it's, it's a nice kind of homage to that style of music to involve these guys. And certainly, uh, you know, a, a cool thing on your part to want to have other people involved like that. You know, some bands, you know, they want to circle the wagons. This is us. This is what we do. Um, so it's it's a good way to do it. Now you're you're oh, awesome. you're days away from you know the official start of the stadium tour, which has been pushed off and pushed off and pushed off due to the world you know situations beyond any of your control. Um, how do you you know? Do you have it in your head what that's going to feel like, you know, when you walk out on that stage, or is it still sort of, I'll worry about that come that morning, or, or how do you kind of get your head around that? Man, so we're we're three days away from the first show, the opening one, 
And I don't really know what to expect. It's unlike anything I've ever done before, ever. Um, even just walking out on a stage of that size. Um, yeah, yeah. So, like, really, there's not much you can do to prepare except rehearse a bunch. Luckily, Dorothy, um, an amazing rock act, um, uh, let us go on tour with her. And so we did, like, 40 dates with her uh, from, like, this year for, like, two months. Like, mm-hmm. It was insane. It was it was the perfect way to get us like really knock us into shape and let us fall on stage a couple of times and you know get up and do all that a million times. So after all of that and just kind of be, knowing what it's like to be sleepy but perform or being over energetic and all that sort of thing and nervous, I don't think anyone's really nervous. We're just like we just want to have fun. We just finally we're just like this is it. This is what can you do with this experience except really smile and laugh and have fun with it you know whatever yeah. happens make it even uh, go lean into it if you fall lean into it and when i say fall i don't mean like physically of course right. i do physically but also like in any manner you know something happens really just enjoy it just while it's yeah. happening so Whoa. we're just trying to be present do you guys have is it's funny you mentioned about the size of the stage you know because you even think you know usually support acts you know you get maybe a fraction of the stage um, because of the drums, and I'm sure in a show of this magnitude, there's a lot of production kind of limiting your space, but still you're probably dealing with a space that's a hell of a lot bigger than you maybe are used to. Do you guys kind of think about that? Like, hey, you know, Dane, move a little further away. We're not going to, we're going to have more room. We need to fill out the stage at all. Or is that you guys just going to hit it and see what happens? We're just going to see what happens. We sh- Honestly, we should have spoken about that. Maybe we will now. Yeah, you think about you know a lot of bands you know you're used to playing clubs and you you know you've got to worry about if the bass player swings around too quick that you know Franco's going to hit you in the head with his headstock, um, but that that'd be a, a kind of a cool thing to to do. Is it? You think it like the idea of playing in the daylight too? That's another you know aspect. Is that uh, something you've done before? Have you done like outside gigs in the in the daytime? Oh, yeah, yeah. This band, too, like, we've done, you know, we've done Nooners. We've done, like, 1 PMers and stuff, just yes. for fun, or, like, little festival stuff, and it's, like, totally. Actually, and, like, it's never the funnest thing, especially as a singer, too. I have to warm up differently. I have to, like, yeah. eat specifically to sing in dry air or humid air. Um, but, like, it's always a fun challenge, and I'm actually quite excited. I can't wait to see the what's the word the grandeur of yeah. this of the stadium while i'm yeah. like clearly while in daylight it's it's like if anything it's gonna sear the memory into my brain even more do you guys have to like uh you know tell chuck to be really careful with the tempo so you don't come out like at triple time you know just on adrenaline <laughs> actually yes it's gonna did. it's gonna be <laughs> and like it's, a, and it's and it's oh sorry go ahead no it's like we it's not even his it's not even his doing. It's like it's like I think I'm sure you mean the same thing. It's like all of us. Like I'm gonna be singing. Like I'm rapping. Like I'm yeah. just like speed rapping almost. So we need him to be that house. So we we're going fully on click, and we're like we need to all just be stable, have something to fall back on. Yeah, I think of like uh, if you listen to some of the like the Ramones live albums, I always enjoy those because they're about fifty times the tempo of the studio versions, and that was just how the Ramones were. Right. But I could see adrenaline being a huge factor in this. You know, you've got, you know, even if people are still filing into the seats, you're gonna have thousands of people there. You know, you know, have been partying since nine a.m. 
probably when you you know every town you're going to go to this is going to be one of the events of the summer um you know and people are going to be kind of meandering in and you guys are going to come on and, and you know it's, i imagine that's not easy to to keep that tempo consistent and, and you know where it's at and where you want it to be so uh that's a good problem to have though yeah. you know to be such a large audience that your adrenaline is yeah. kicking that high that's fantastic well yeah. um the new album, or I should say the debut album on, on Better Noise Records is going to be available on the 24th. Welcome to the show. Um, that'll assume, will, will you guys be allowed to do merch at the shows if people want to pick up the album or you know, a t-shirt or something? Yeah, absolutely. 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 Like the, we'll be having shirts and hats and all sorts of fun things. But also, like I think our album doesn't drop until a week after the first show. Sure. So you'll get our album, but like... A little bit into the into the uh, you know sure. Uh, tour. Sure, well, but fantastic. By the time you get to Pittsburgh, which is in August, will be people will be should should know all the words. We hope um, you'll be here on the 12th to do PNC Park. Uh, should be a fantastic show. And I want to thank you, Derek, so much for your time today, man. Awesome, thank you, John. This has been super fun. All right, again, classless act, Derek Day. Going to be the first band you see walking onto the stage at PNC Park on August 12th. And what an amazing weekend um, in Pittsburgh. You've got Def Leppard, Motley Crue. Uh, Motley Crue will be closing the show in Pittsburgh. Uh, so if you're concerned about when you're going to get there, need to leave early, whatever, plan your night accordingly. You will see Classless Act and Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, Poison featuring our own Brett Michaels from Butler, and then Def Leppard, and then closing the show will be Motley Crue. Uh, we'll say this after seeing Def Leppard tour with Journey. Def Leppard is not an easy band to follow on stage. Uh, they put on an amazing show. So uh, it'll be interesting to see um, if there's a little one-upsmanship uh, between the bands, but it'll be really cool to check that out. So but be sure you're in your seats early. Uh, you know, I look at this show, and I can't help but think of the Mo- Monsters of Rock show. Uh, the Van Halen, Metallica, Dokken, Kingdom Come, Scorpions show that hit three River Stadium so, so many years ago. This this has all that kind of uh, interest, uh, I think, in it. So we're going to turn our attention now to a band actually out of Italy. Uh, the band is called Uncle Bard and the Dirty Bastards. We're going to speak to Silvano and Lorenzo. Uh, were very kind enough to join me to talk about their Celtic rock band. Yes, uh, that was the very first thing that caught my attention, and I'm sure it does to many, many people. Uh, when you think of a Celtic rock band and you have uh, six uh, fellows from um, Italy, uh, but really a, a great band. I, I really enjoy their their uh, release that they're going to be doing, which is, is sort of a, uh, and we'll talk about this in great detail in the, in the interview, sort of a best of their first three independent releases they're going to be doing as a, single release kind of a, a best of to give the rest of the world a chance to, to catch up with what they've been doing so without further ado we're going to play uncle bard and the dirty bastards and then talk to lorenzo and silvano walking high walking bold i carry the loads until i go home homey job Homie broken back And I went to and fro My steep little path Come ye mountain winds 
Drag me away from here To a place where I will belong For I've always been your son Working hard Working strong I run out of stones Everything that I got Got me harder face And I got so hands I dig me ditch there in the sand Come east, open seas Bring me far away from here To a place where I will belong For I've always been your son And I will get along And come out of the storm And I will get along And come out of the storm And I will get along And come out of the storm And I will get along And come out of the storm
and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome the Iron City Rocks. We have on the line Lorenzo Testa and Silvano Ancelotti of the band Uncle Bard and the Dirty Bastards. How are you guys doing today? Uh, we're doing good. Wonderful. I appreciate you guys uh, getting on the line here, uh, but quite a time delay for us. But it, it, when I heard your latest record, uh, which will be coming out in August, the story so far, I was like, this is stuff that I know American audiences eat up. Um, you know, I think a lot of people in the United States have, you know, some Irish roots and uh, it makes, you know, this this kind of appealing. But but let's talk about you guys. Uh, first question, I guess, would be in this kind of always think back to Pink Floyd is, is where did who's Uncle Bard and and where did that particular name come from? <laughs> Which one's pink? To uh... Uh, well, actually, Uncle Bard is one of the is is our bass player. Okay, is basically the most shy guy in the band. So we decided we decided to put him under yeah, the main line. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, that was my joke. <laughs> that's excellent do you get that question a lot i think you know you expect you know in a, in a band you think okay well the guy at the mic it must be uh you know the singer is is going to be the name of the band but i think that's an excellent uh to use roberto uh for the naming purpose um i don't know in our case it's the most useless instrument. <laughs> <laughs> you know i you know it depends. You got to watch. Those are fighting words, and I think in any band between who who is the, the least important between the bass and the drummer. But um, <laughs> I, I'll say this though: you take away those two and see how bad you sound without a bass and a drummer, and then you'll uh, have a deeper appreciation. Um, when you uh, guys started this band, obviously you you guys are from Italy, um, yeah, and you're obviously playing very Celtic inspired folk rock um call it what you want but what, what got you guys into this was this something that, that you know you had some you know family somebody in the family who kind of listened to more traditional stuff you, you know you heard the unicorn song a lot as a kid or, or was this something that you know you picked up on on bands like the dropkick murphys and things like that that, that influenced you uh, well for some reason our area in italy mm-hmm. is very into this kind of music for really, for what reason? Just the, just the passion for this kind of music and this kind of uh, <laughs> Irish cult, Celtic culture. Yeah. And then actually we, we had this uh, passed into, you know, like rock bands, punk band. So for, we decided to start this band all together, a uh, few friends from different bands. And to challenge ourselves trying to play this kind of music. Mm-hmm. And well, we got a, a, a decent uh, response from the audience. So we decided to carry on with this thing. And then we really found a way to express ourselves with this kind of music, basically. And so we spent like many years studying instruments and trying to play them in a proper way. Yeah, uh, I, I imagine you know, when you listen to it, there's a lot of instrumentation in here. This isn't just, you know, as we call them in the United States, cowboy chords, you know, you're not just playing a DGA chord progression, you know, you've got 
uh, uh, quite a bit going on in the music and, and are there particular when it comes to, to Celtic music, is there particular keys that you, or, you know, is it mostly major scale type of songs to kind of give it that sound? Or is there kind of a secret sauce that says, you know, this is going to make it sound like a Celtic rock song? Uh, yeah, you have to put B minor every now and then. B minor, that's the key. Yeah, next to next to C, okay. <laughs> D, G, and then sometimes B minor, and it's going to work. Yeah, we've, you've, now there will be 30,000 uh, Irish bands coming out of, of all over the world now because you've given away the, the key chord. Well, um, they're already anyway. <laughs> yeah. How, um, how yeah. important was, you know, when you got Luca, uh, with the whistle with the flute i mean those are not instruments that i personally try to play a, a the tin whistle and it's not nearly as easy as you might think looking at it um was this something that you know needed to be learned because of the style of the music you guys were doing or was this you sought out somebody who could play the whistle yeah we we can say luca was basically the last step in mm -hmm. our in our um you know, challenge trying to sound more mm -hmm. Celtic because he, he started as a Celtic musician himself and it was quite known. Right. And so we actually went to him asking for one of his students if he wanted to play with us. Uh, and he came up like, I can do that. And go. then we have to study a lot. <laughs> sure. Did, because, was it? Was it helpful in, in you know in having that instrument or or I should say those instruments that he he uh, masters? Does that change you know Lorenzo and, and like how you approach your instruments so that you have you know kind of sonically you all have space you know because you have you know obviously Roberto's bass you know you guys pan down in the mix but you know you have a good electric guitar a, you know the banjo the mandolin um, you know and then Luca's adding to the music do you have to kind of work at making sure there's space for him sonically oh well it changed a lot uh, the, the the way we used to play um, when he entered the the lineup and i i play the banjo and i it's been very useful in um uh, in learning how to properly play irish music with the banjo because it is uh I don't know. It's, I, I used to play in a um, floggy molly or dropping dropping Murphy style. Mm -hmm. but it sounds Celtic, yeah, okay. But Irish traditional music is a totally different thing, and Luca helped us in doing that. Um, it's it's been a lot of uh, effort, effort, <laughs> and practice. Sure. But, and, and we changed a lot of our songs. Introducing um, reels, uh, jigs, and um, um, stuff like that in in mm -hmm. our song. Yeah, probably that's why we. Uh, you cannot really say we are a punk rock band who play Irish music or a, a traditional band trying to play more rocky. But that's why we are right there in the middle, maybe. Yeah, and I think that yeah, helps. That's our goal. The, yeah. Our, yeah, yeah. It certainly makes it unique. You know, in, in a space where, I mean, if you came out and you sounded exactly like the Dropkick Murphys, then you would be, you know, people might say, well, what's the point? But, mm -hmm. you know, having that. Um, 
Lorenzo, from a from a musician standpoint, was the banjo something that you have been playing for a while? I, I look at a banjo as is kind of an instrument that has become much, at least in the United States, much more accepted and, and frankly cooler than it was 30 years ago. If you had come out in you know 1990 with a banjo in the United States in a band, people probably would have you know chased you off the stage. But you know, bands like um yeah, you mentioned the, the Dropkick Murphys, I think, of, um, mm-hmm. you know, quite a few kind of roots rock bands in the United States. Um, it has become much more prevalent in rock music uh, in, in the mandolin as well. Is that same in Italy where the, the or is it more been a commonly accepted instrument? Well, in, not in Italy because there are only a few banjo players. Uh, more uh, bluegrass banjo players in Italy than, than Celtic music and musicians. But uh, it's, it's an instrument uh, uh, very, um, very a lot, there, there are a lot of players now in, uh, in Ireland, in Scotland mm-hmm. as well. Uh, probably due to a band, uh, a band called uh, We Banjo 3 that's very okay. that's well known in, in the States as well. Mm-hmm. And, and well, and the Dubliners and mm-hmm. um, bands like that from the 70s. Uh, but in, in Italy, it's very hard to, to, to be a banjo player because mm-hmm. there is no way to, uh, to get a banjo, to get lessons. Yeah. Um, so I did a lot of traveling up and down from Italy to Ireland to learn uh, how to, to play the banjo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think here it's you know, predominantly like a bluegrass instrument until i mean frankly until mumford and son i think that was maybe the act that i would say you know when, when i will wait and i don't know if it was a global hit but it was an enormous hit in the united states and it seemed like shortly thereafter every band had you know a banjo yeah. um but but you're right there isn't a, a and i can't think in the united states where you know you can go get guitar lessons and, and somebody will teach you led zeppelin riffs but i don't know that they're a tremendous amount of banjo teachers that are teaching more of a, you know, modern sound, I guess is maybe the way to, to say that. Um, yeah. yeah. The, the fact that, you know, the, kind of the elephant in the room, you guys are from Italy. Um, when you play this music outside of, of Italy, do you get any skepticism from the audience? You know, you know, these guys from Italy trying to, you know, play Irish music. Is that, ever been an issue or is it pretty, you know, I think in the United States, we think, okay, probably the biggest Irish band is from Boston. Um, do, <laughs> does it really matter, you know, once you get up and hit the first chord? Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, when we, we, we play way more in Europe than in Italy mm-hmm. and we, do, we don't speak, basically we never speak Italian when we, when we play. So um, of course they, the audience realized we're not like, you know, Irish because of the accent or anything like that. But they always get like kind of surprised when they, they find out we're Italian. Like, what? Why? And, and that's basically is the most common question. Every time we finish the show, it's like, no, guys, why? Are you from Italy? Ow. <laughs> but... I don't know. We're getting used to that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a, it kind of comes with the territory. I think in the United States you could pull it off because we we're frankly too dumb to know 
the difference in the dialect so well. You know, we you you come yeah. and you sound different to us. It's like, hey, that's cool. They're playing the music. You've got the flat hats and the suits, and it works. But um, you know, I didn't know how like if you received any kind of resentment. Do you play much in Ireland itself? Excuse me. Do you play? Do you play in Ireland quite a bit? Um, we just went busking once, like three of us. It was me, Lorenzo, and Guido, our singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just went went in the streets like five, six years ago, just to have a kind of holiday. Yeah. Uh, in a different way, and it was fun. Uh, seems like everybody liked that. Uh, we never went really to Ireland, and we're kind of kind of terrified about that already when we went to us to play we were like nah, probably the guys were not gonna like the way we play because we are you know we're not like uh, proper we're not mm-hmm. like real but, but then it's just probably our mind that is playing tricks because we we went there it was super fun the audience was happy and that's it yeah you played in dublin ohio am i correct yeah Dublin, yeah, that's not far from Pittsburgh. And I know there are, um, you know, a few bands even in our region that do the style of music, you know, Americans playing this kind of music. I think it's, you know, I think it's it's a bit of a testament to the style of music that people enjoy it so much. I, I think it, it, it's kind of like reggae. I think, you know, when I think of music, you know, I, I personally, you know, depending on a mood I'm in, I put in different kinds of music. If I want to, you know, if I'm in a really bad mood, I can put on the Misfits or, you know, good King King Diamond or something like that. But you're in a happy mood. I'm either going to listen to, you know, I, I have one particular Dropkick Murphy's album I always listen to or, um, you know, like Bob Marley. And, and it, I don't think you necessarily need to be from Jamaica to make that kind of music, you know, reggae yeah. music. I don't think you need to be from Ireland to make Celtic music. Um, and yeah, you guys... We- do it so well um you mentioned busking which is the the term i I, you know i don't know in in america if that's a commonly used term but you know basically playing music on the street um is that what kind of reaction do you guys get i mean people pretty that's kind of a fascinating thing is it uh people Um, generally pretty accepting or do people kind of keep their head down and ignore you well actually probably got like uh uh nothing special reaction in uk where we started mm-hmm. but then when we went to ireland we really cannot say yeah it was crazy it was super <laughs> fun the you know we started with really no expectation you stay mm-hmm. on the street and in italy if you say someone playing at a on the streets you just walk through and that's it right uh but then there People got like excited, understanding that we were just singing their traditional songs, um, and they felt it like as a tribute. Right. So we got we got some musician coming with us, playing with us. Then people dancing in Temple Bar. Like I know it's very cliche, but <laughs> it's <laughs> that's gotta how it be. Went. <laughs> yeah. That's got to be quite fun. I um, had watched yeah. a, a DVD um bonus feature i don't know if, if you know the musician joe bonamasso but he's an american yeah, blues, yeah. blues musician he was playing at radio city music hall in, in new york city and mm-hmm. if i recall correctly he had sold out multiple nights at the venue and he during the day had gone busking in the subway and mm-hmm. i i can't remember how much money and i don't know if you 
if you put your guitar case out and people throw money in, in, in Ireland or the UK, but in the United States, that's kind of common, you know, to throw a dollar or two at a, a musician. And I, I think he said he made almost enough to buy lunch. Now you figure the guy is playing upstairs, you know, right off the same subway exit at Radio City Music Hall, where people were paying a premium concert ticket to go see him. But down in the subway, when he's got a, you know, dirty coat on and a, you know, an acoustic guitar, people just keep their head down. And that's kind of how the United States is, where people don't really interact with street musicians. Um, and it's unfortunate because, you know, some very talented people you hear, you know, when you're walking through some cities, you yeah. know, guitarists or saxophone players or whatever. So I was curious what that experience was like. So thank you for indulging that. So this album uh, that's coming out, it's coming out in August. Um, yeah the the story so far this is is this your fourth album or, or how many albums did you have precede this uh actually this one is a is a compilation album okay uh, taken from our first three albums okay we uh we just did the first three diy basically sure. and then we got in touch with these with angelair music and so they decided to release worldwide our uh, compilation of our previous albums. Sure. So, so basically, you're just listening to a best of. That's why the best of the dirty bastards. Good songs. <laughs> Do you um? Yeah. Did you re-record these, or were these um recorded that well to begin with? I mean, they sound very cohesive. You know, sometimes when you listen to three albums or the material blended together, you can really tell that they're you know, kind of not all recorded together. Were these re-recorded or were you guys just pretty consistent mm. in your recording process? Uh, no, actually, they're just a track straight from the three albums. Okay. Uh, I think they got mastered to get. Yeah, to- okay. know, probably they're going to do a, a mastering or even a second mastering. But okay. Yeah, so you've yeah, got it. And yeah, there are, there are, the, there are a lot of differences between the albums of course we we, sure. we grew up uh, and our style changed a bit but mm, they're yeah. pretty pretty consistent yeah and you have a live album coming out is that still slated for 2022 um well it's going to be released on in before the end of the year i guess yeah. we're going to record it in august in france uh, so we still have to do that uh, no, no pressure. <laughs> no, well, not at all. kind of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you know, uh, we're talking. Oh, we got our hours. <laughs> you know, when you check on your calendar, there is a day with yeah. a red circle around. Like that day, you're gonna record a live album <laughs> for the first time ever. Yeah, yeah. that is like pretty scary, pretty yeah. terrifying. Yeah, I imagine it's not. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Now, will you be doing video to that? I, I think that would make it, you know, raise it up a little bit even more as far as pressure. Or is this just strictly audio? No, no, they're doing a uh, video recording as well. Yeah. Okay, so you've you've got to look pretty and and sound perfect and and be on mic and uh, not yeah, yeah. flub. Look is not, not a fl- problem, problem, but the music here. Uh, the sound yeah, is. Right. The sound, uh, <laughs> no. We gotta yeah. work about. We gotta <laughs> work it out. As long as you don't flub uh, that B, B minor chord, you'll be okay. Okay, guys, I want to appreciate, uh, thank you so much. I do appreciate your time. The album will be available here in the States 
in August. It's uh, the story so far, kind of a greatest hits. Lorenzo Silvano, I really want to thank you guys and, and for stopping by, man. Thank you to you for having us. Thanks. All right, be sure to check out that debut worldwide release from the Uncle Bart and the Dirty Bastards, uh, unless you're fortunate enough to get your hands on some of their previous indie releases. Be fantastic to get these guys back to the United States. Um, as you mentioned, they play Dublin, Ohio, um, which is you know not a bad drive, but it would be cool to get them here in Pittsburgh. I, I could see a day where that band is doing quite quite well in the United States. So we literally took you around of the world on this episode. We went from Italy, uh, Austin, Texas, with Mr. Eric Johnson. Want to uh, remind you again, his albums will be out later this month. Two albums, and if you pre-order, uh, you can get that extra EP. So head over to ericjohnson.com for that. Those will be out on the 29th. And then Classless Act, their brand new album is out. Welcome to the show. Uh, you can check that out on Spotify. Highly, highly, highly recommend you listen to it uh, twice. Go through the album twice. My homework assignment to, to you in Pittsburgh who are going to the stadium show. We've all been there where you go, you get your ticket, you go to a concert, and, and an opening act walks out on the stage, and you're like, I don't really know what this is about. Maybe this isn't that exciting, or I don't know the songs. You know, just get them off stage, get me to the to, to what I paid for, the name on the ticket. Um, I can think of an exact concert experience I had like that when Alice in Chains opened for Van Halen. I remember being so excited when, when Alice in Chains came out on stage because I listened to Facelift so many times before they came uh, and was really excited to see them as well as Van Halen, huge Van Halen fan. But when they took the stage, the audience was like crickets. Anybody that tells you that they were at that show and that were super excited to see Alice in Change is lying. Um, I remember kind of jumping up on my feet uh, when they took the stage and being the only guy standing and went over actually beside the stage and had a chance to talk to the guys in the band after their set. They were, you know, like pretty much nobody's in the city of Pittsburgh at the time. So um, homework assignment to you, get to know the Classes X debut album before they come to Pittsburgh because I think you're really going to dig it. And you're going to kick yourself in the ass five years from now when they're playing much bigger venues that you didn't take the time to enjoy it when they were here the first time. Uh, you know, you know, always get that first experience with a band can be very magical. So take the time, learn the songs, learn the, the hooks, you know, so you can sing along. It always makes it more fun when you go to a concert and you know the band. So, I mean, there's all, don't get me wrong, there's been experiences where I've seen opening acts that blew me away. Kicks was an example of a band where I saw them didn't know anything about them and had to immediately go by blow my fuse because they were that good live. I'm not saying you can't have that experience, but it's always fun when you know the songs. So check Classless Acts out before they come here on August 12th for the stadium tour with Def Leppard, Motley Crue, Poison, and Joan Jett and the Black Hearts. It's going to be an amazing, amazing day. And uh, also check out uh, Uncle Bard and the Dirty Bastards. I just like to say the name of that band. It's such a fun thing. So we took you to a bunch of different flavors of music today. Let us know what you think. IronCityRocks at gmail.com. Do you like it when we go all over the map when it comes to rock music, or do you prefer more, uh, you know, we're going to do a metal episode, then a classic rock episode, then an alt-rock episode? Let us know what you like. Um, if that makes it more interesting that we bounce around or if we stay in one place, we'd love to hear from you. IronCityRocks at gmail.com. Check out our website, IronCityRocks.com. 
and all of the social medias are forward slash Iron City Rocks. Love to hear from you. Got a bunch of uh, tickets to give away to a bunch of shows coming up, so I invite you to check out social media for those. And until next time, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>